And we've been studying the life of Jesus for the past seven weeks at our church. If you pull out your sermon notes from the back of your bulletin so you can follow along this morning. Uh, We started out seven weeks ago asking the question, who is Jesus? Because it was a question that Jesus asked of his disciples, which means it's important for you and I to be able to answer the question, who, who is Jesus? And to have a good answer for that question, who is Jesus? Because Jesus said, if you don't have an adequate view of who I am... You'll not be able to follow me like you need to, and you'll not be able to be blessed by knowing me like you need to. So Jesus, throughout the book of John, has been making statements about himself. Jesus said that he was the bread of life, and that everybody who came to him and believed in him would never go hungry. Jesus said he was the light of the world and that we should follow him. Jesus said that he was the gate and we could connect to God through him. Jesus said he was the good shepherd, and by getting to know him, we could literally be shaped to listen to his inner voice. Jesus said he was the resurrection and the life and anyone who wanted to live forever should know him. Jesus said he is the way, the truth, and the life. And if you really want to know God, the way to know God is to connect to Jesus. And today Jesus will say that he's divine and he'll teach us how to stay close to him. And here's what I want you to understand if you're looking at that little list of seven that I just gave you. Starting at Jesus' third statement that he was the gate that connects people to God. Starting at that statement and moving through the next five, there isn't a person alive who doesn't desire the final five promises of Jesus if there is really a God. Now, there may be some people here today who are not sure yet if there's a God. Certainly, all of us know people in our life who's trying to figure out whether or not there's a God. But if there is a God, then certainly we want to be connected to him. We want to be able to hear from him. We want to be able to live forever. We want eternal life. We want to be able to know him. We want to stay close to him. So everyone alive, if there is a God, has to have interest in what Jesus is saying. And for those of us who who call ourselves Christians, for those of us who believe in God and have a relationship with God, we have to look at what Jesus is saying here, and we have to say, teach me this. Because as a Christian, as a follower of Jesus, my goal is to know God. My goal is to be connected to God. My goal is to be able to hear from God and know the will of God in my life. My goal is to one day live forever. And as Christians, I think we probably have a more difficult time staying close to God than getting close to God. Because there's enough events in the Christian world, um, youth camps, summer youth camps, the vacation Bible school, mission trips, even tragedy and crisis. There are so many things in life that allow us to get close to God and to draw close to God. It's really staying close to God that is the problem for so many of us. We, we've been close to God. We know how to get close to God. Maybe some of us are trying to figure out how to, get, how to get back close to God. But the real problem is staying close to God. And Jesus speaks specifically about that today in John chapter 15. How to stay close to God. If you have your Bible, I want you to turn to John chapter 15. If you didn't bring your Bible today, you can fire up your phone or your tablet if you, if you follow along that way. Our ushers are going to come down the aisles. They have Bibles you can use today. They actually have Bibles you can have. If you're new to us and you don't have a Bible, just wave at them. They'll give you one. We've given away more than 700 since our church began just like this. So if you want a Bible today just to follow along because you forgot yours, use it. Throw it on the table when you leave. Um, if you don't know where your Bible is, put your name in this one and keep it. It's yours. It's our gift to you. And I'd encourage you, what we're studying today, John chapter 15, just read that whole book of John. Uh, and I believe you'll really get to know who Jesus is. But here's who Jesus says he is today. John chapter 15, verses 1 through 8. Jesus said, I am the true vine, and my father is the gardener. He cuts off every branch in me that bears no fruit, while every branch that does bear fruit, 
He prunes so that it will be even more fruitful. You're already clean because of the word that I've spoken to you. Remain in me as I also remain in you. No branch can bear fruit by itself. It must remain in the vine. Neither can you bear fruit unless you remain in me. I am the vine. You are the branches. If you remain in me and I in you, you will bear much fruit. Apart from me, you can do nothing. If you don't remain in me, you're like a branch that's thrown away and withers. Such branches are picked up, thrown into the fire, and burned. If you remain in me and my words remain in you, ask whatever you wish, and it'll be done for you. This is to my Father's glory, which literally means this is what makes God look good. That you bear much fruit, showing yourselves to be my disciples. So we've asked this question at every message in this series. What can we look at in today's text and learn from the mouth of Jesus that can radically transform and shape our lives? Well, today is all about staying close to Jesus. And as I studied John chapter 15 for the past few weeks, and as I really tried to dig into it this week, uh, and literally just read John 15 probably more than a dozen times, rolled over John 15, went from John 13 to 17, read it all together because it's kind of one conversation, read all of John 15, then a few verses in John 15. I, I kept coming back to the text and saying, Lord, what, what do you want me to share from this? I, I need to figure out how I can understand this so I can share this with the people. And three words in the text kept, kept reoccurring. And I thought, well, clearly this has to be the focus of Jesus' message. I want to look at three words that are going to show us how to stay close to Jesus today. The first is the word vine. Jesus said, I am the vine. He has called himself the bread. He's called himself the light. He's called himself the way, the truth, and the life. He's called himself the resurrection and the life. He's called himself the good shepherd. He's called himself the gate. Here he calls himself the vine. The word vine is used three times in John 15, 1 through 8. Clearly, that this is... One of the main points of John chapter 15, verses 1 through 8. And you and I hear this, and it's like, okay, well, what does it mean? It probably means less to us than it did to the disciples, because Jesus' statement of himself as the true vine would have been significant to the people of Israel, would have been very significant to the disciples who he was with, and at the time that he was with them, and at the location where he was with them, because Jesus said what he said in John chapter 15, while he and the disciples were walking. They had just eaten the Last Supper, and they were walking from the location of the Last Supper to the Garden of Gethsemane where they would end up. And I have taken that walk with people from our church. It takes about 15 minutes to get there. It's all downhill. It's actually probably the easiest walk in all of Israel. You can go walk this exact same path today from the upper room where Jesus had the Last Supper down past the basically the Temple Mount, down through the Kidron Valley to the Garden of Gethsemane where Jesus prayed. It's just, it's, it's a very nice, slow stroll. And Jesus and his disciples were walking this pathway that night. It's a very possible because we know that this night would have been a full moon because this was Passover time. And Passover, just in case you're wondering why Easter switches, I didn't know this till I was in seminary. Easter is always the first Sunday after the first full moon after March 21st or the spring equinox. I don't know if you know how that's, they set Passover, but they do it by the lunar cycle. So Passover is always the first full moon after the spring equinox, and then Easter is always that weekend as well. So we know there's a full moon this night because it was Passover, and Passover goes by the lunar cycle. 
And we know that Jesus and his disciples were walking by the temple because it's the path that they had to take. And we know that Herod the Great who built the temple, Herod the Great who's known not in biblical history but in secular history is one of the greatest builders that ever lived, has spent nearly 50 years rebuilding the temple of Israel as a gift to the Jewish people but kind of, kind of as a pride factor for he to Caesar in Rome. He wanted Caesar to think that he was a great builder. He literally had knocked down half of a mountain to build the temple mount. Where, where Solomon's temple was used to be at a very small plateau at the top of a mountain. Herod, without, bulldover, without bulldozers, without excavators, Herod had literally leveled the mountain, made the temple mount about 10 times larger than it was, and had built one of the grandest temples that had ever been created. Historians tell us that he ordered the gates for the temple from Rome. He had them cast out of pure bronze in Rome, and he had them shipped across the Mediterranean to the port of Joppa, where Jonah would have went to run away from God, and he would have had them driven up what is today Highway 1 into Jerusalem, and woven into those pure bronze gates cast in Rome and shipped across the Mediterranean Sea was a gold vine that would have been worth hundreds and hundreds of thousands of dollars in today's money. Because in the Old Testament, God called Israel his vine. He said, you are my, you are my vine. You are, you are what I'm going to use to connect to the world. So Israel thought of themselves as the vine. And it's very possible as they walked by the temple, Jesus pointed at this shimmering gold vine on these gates that were cast in Rome and shipped over to Israel. It's very possible that as they kind of went into the Kidron Valley that would have had olive trees and still today has olive trees just spread all over the hill. That's why the Mount of Olives is called that. The Mount of Olives is filled with olive trees. And if you would have walked up it years ago, now it's a cemetery, but it would have been filled with olives. It would have been a Mount of Olives, like literal olives that are in your salad. As they would have walked through that ravine called the Kidron Valley, there would have been vineyards on either side of it, terraced along the hill down from the city of Jerusalem. Jesus may have looked at all the vines and the branches and the grapes and the vineyard. And he may have given this analogy there. But we know for Israel, this, this symbolism of the vine was a big deal. And Jesus said, I am the vine. But he didn't stop there. Jesus referenced himself as the vine. But once again in his statement, he shows his spiritual relationship to the people because he called them the branches. As a matter of fact, every statement that Jesus made was relational, not positional. You say, what does that mean? Jesus didn't say, here's what you need to know about me. He never told us what we needed to know about him. Jesus said, here's what you need to know about us. It was always relational. I am the bread of life. If you are hungry, come to me. That's what you need to know about us. I can take care of you. I am the light of the world. If you walk in darkness, come to me. I'll help you. It's about us, not me. I am the gate. If you need protection, come to me. I am the shepherd to you who are sheep. I am the resurrection to people who are dead. I am the way to peace for people who have troubled hearts. And here he says, I am the, van, the, the vine and you are the branches. Every one of Jesus' statements was, was about relationship. Where he stood in relation to us. And what we learn here, it's a pretty simple picture. Jesus says, if the branch doesn't remain connected to the vine, it's going to dry up and it's going to die. And you don't, you don't have to look much into the word picture to realize, like I ask you in this question here, sometimes when you feel like you're in a dry spot spiritually, it's because you're not connected to Jesus like you used to be. And some of you are sitting in the room this morning, November 30, 2014, 
And if you, were to, if you were to look like the branches that Jesus is talking about, some of you like would be so filled with fruit that like the people next to you would be getting grape juice on their elbows because you're so close to Jesus. And some of you would be so dry that if somebody sat their Bible down on you, you would, you would, hear, you would hear a crack. There's a lot of you in here that are really filled up spiritually. There's a lot of you in here that are really empty spiritually. Jesus said the way you can know that is by how close someone stays to Jesus. This Wednesday, I flew up to Chicago to see my mom and dad for Thanksgiving. We flew in Wednesday out Friday. I wasn't aware till this week that Wednesday is the busiest travel day of the year, every day, like every place. So we get to the Kansas City airport at like 5 a.m., and there are more people at the Kansas City Airport at 5 a.m. than I have ever seen at the Kansas City Airport in my life. And I thought, what is going on? We land in Chicago about 7.30, and I mean, it looked like people had been there for days. There were just people everywhere at 7.30 a.m. waiting to fly out. And it was funny, as I was walking from where we landed out through security to go get in my dad's car, I looked around, and there were people sitting all along the walls. There were people sitting next to the columns. There were people kind of curled up in chairs. There were people off in corners. And I began to notice that literally any place there was an outlet, there was a person. Because everyone had their, their phone, their tablet, their iPad, their computer. Everyone was sitting someplace where they could get juice for whatever they needed power for. And I thought, man, if people were as desperate for spiritual connection as we are for our mobile phone or our tablet or our computer... Man, what would the world look like spiritually? I remember when we went to Kenya, with a 13-hour and 40-minute flight over, a 14-hour and 40-minute flight back, you cannot imagine the sheer joy when we found out the flights we were on, every seat had a power, basically a place to plug something in, so you could plug whatever you had in since you had nearly a 15-hour flight. But it was all a different converter than American, than American Jews. So you could have sold, like I could have, I could have rented my converter made a lot of money on that plane. Just from people who were on our mission team, they were afraid their phone was going to die before they got home. Because we are obsessed with making sure our stuff does not run out of power. Except when it comes to spiritual things. And we can go forever without plugging into Jesus and think that we're going to stay filled up spiritually. Jesus said, it doesn't work that way. You can't come to church once every six or eight weeks and think you're going to stay charged up spiritually. It doesn't work that way. You can't read your Bible one time a month and think you're going to stay filled up spiritually. It doesn't work that way. You can't just do the Jesus thing when you're in town with relatives who go to church and think once a year you can charge up and everything's going to be okay. I wish it worked that way. I wish I could charge my phone today and not have to charge it again until January. That would be awesome. I can't. Because when you use stuff, the battery drains. And Jesus says as you live your life, your spiritual battery is going to drain unless you stay connected to me. So staying close to Jesus is the key to staying filled up spiritually. But it's more than just being filled up spiritually because Jesus uses this word, number two, fruit. He uses this word fruit seven times in John chapter 15. I mean, as you read over and over and over and over again, it's, it feels like if you just read it out loud enough times that all you're doing is reading about fruit. And as a matter of fact, the main point of John chapter 15, the main point, is the fruit of the Christian life and how important it is that because we're connected to Jesus, we live a life that looks 
like the life of Jesus. In verse 2, Jesus said, you're supposed to bear fruit. And later in verse 2, he said, and I want you to be more fruitful. And then in verse 5, he said, I want you to have much fruit. And then in verse 8, he says again, I want you to have much fruit. And then in verse 16, he said, and you need to have fruit that will last. Literally, the Christian life, your Christian life, my Christian life, is supposed to move from being fruitful spiritually to being more fruitful spiritually, to having much fruitfulness spiritually, to having lasting fruitfulness spiritually. It's not supposed to move from high to low to high to low mountains and valleys. The Christian life is supposed to go from having a little bit of fruit to a little more fruit to a lot of fruit to much fruit to lasting fruit. That's what Jesus says in John chapter 15. And if staying close to Jesus is the key to staying filled up spiritually, then staying close to Jesus is also the key to staying fruitful spiritually for Jesus. You say, well, how do I know if I'm fruitful to Jesus? I'm glad you asked that question because a church 2,000 years ago asked that question of a pastor who had planted a church there. His name was Paul. And the apostle Paul wrote to the churches in Galatians, in Galatians 5, 22 and 23, who were trying to figure out whether or not they were doing well spiritually. Paul says, well, judge yourselves by this. The fruit of the Spirit is love, is joy, it's peace, it's forbearance, which means patience, it's kindness, is goodness, is faithfulness, is gentleness, is self-control. What scripture tells us is the closer you are to Jesus, the more your life begins to look like the spirit of Jesus. The more your actions begin to be in the spirit of Jesus. The more your reactions begin to be in the spirit of Jesus. So I've, I've just put these nine fruit of the spirit down on your sermon notes so that you can just test yourself today. How, how are you doing in being loving? Do you have a spirit of love today? Do you have a spirit of joy today? Do you have a spirit of peace today? Do you have a spirit of patience today? Do you have a spirit of kindness? Spirit of goodness? A spirit of faithfulness? A spirit of gentleness? A spirit of self-control? See, I've left a blank here for you so that today at lunch or maybe tonight before you go to bed, and here's the kicker, here's, here's the curveball of this situation. I've left a blank here not so that you can go home and fill this out about yourself. I've left a blank so you can give this to your spouse and ask them to judge you. I've left a blank so that you can give it to your children and say, hey, just based on the last week, I just want you to give me a score on these. With the people in your life, the people that you work with, School teachers, the kids who are in your classrooms, principals, the teachers that you work with, if they were to take this test on you, would they say you're one of the most loving people they know? Would they say your life is filled with joy? Would your kids say you always seem to be at peace no matter what happens? Would your spouse say you just always seem to be patient no matter what comes up in life? Would your neighbors say you're some of the nicest people that they've ever met? Would people who know you just a little bit say you're a good person who stands for good things? Would your small group leader or your ministry leader at church say you're faithful and they can always count on you because you're one of the most faithful people that they know? Would people around you say you have a spirit of gentleness in dealing with people? Would the drivers who follow you to work or drive in front of you a little too slowly on the way to work say you have good self-control? See, Jesus said, if you want to stay filled, you've got to stay close to me. But when you stay filled, you'll become fruitful. And what's interesting is to note that even the branches that bear fruit, 
God prunes back so they'll be even more fruitful. I was reading this this week and I thought that doesn't make a lot of sense. Jesus said, the branches that don't bear fruit I cut off and I throw away. I thought that makes sense. There are things in my life that don't make me fruitful spiritually. I need to continue to get rid of things and people and emotions and habits and attitudes in my life that aren't fruitful spiritually. I've got to continue to get rid of those. But Jesus said, the things that are fruitful, I've got to keep cutting back. And I thought, Lord, why is that? Why are the things that, that, are, that are pretty good, why, why do you got to cut those back too? And I was reading a German scholar on this this week trying to figure out what was going on here. And they said, the, clo- uh, the closer a branch is to the vine, the truer the fruit that comes off of it. And they said, this is a question of motives versus actions. There are a lot of Christians who can learn to have spiritual actions. And they can act very loving while being very angry in their heart. There are a lot of Christians who can pretend to be very gentle while ripping someone behind their back. There are Christians who can learn the actions of appearing to have peace while inside always being full of turmoil. You can be loving to someone that deep down you can't stand. And they said, Jesus doesn't just want us to have actions of spiritual fruit. He wants us to have motives of spiritual fruit. So he'll continue in our life to trim back not just how we act, but how we truly feel. He wants us to love people, not just appear loving. He wants us to have joy, not just appear joyful. He wants us to have peace, not just act like we do. He wants us to be patient, not just act patient. He wants us to to be nice, not just to act nice. He wants us to be good, not just look good. He wants us to be faithful in our spirit, not just out of commitment to somebody or something else. He wants us not to just act gentle, but to be gentle. And he wants us to have self-control. And it's funny because anything in life that moves us closer to Jesus, we find out is a good thing spiritually. But it's weird the things that people talk about being thankful for spiritually. You'll hear somebody talk about the death of a family member in their past. And they'll say, you know, but I really thank God for what's happened in my life as a result of it. You'll hear somebody talking about a failed marriage. And they'll say, you know, this happened in my life, but like I'm really, I'm really thankful for what God did in me through that. You'll hear people talk about losing their job. Terrible thing to happen. And they'll say, you know, looking back, I'm glad what that did for me spiritually. And what we find out is whatever pushes us closer to Jesus always has the ability to be a good thing in our life spiritually. You know, I've got some things in my past. I went through some rough times in my past that I tell people I would never choose to go through again, but I would never change them either because they, they made me different. They made me better spiritually. And I can look at my past and say, man, those 10 things I would never choose to go through. I would never choose for anyone else to go through. But for me, I wouldn't change it because I wouldn't be who I am now unless that happened to me there. That's the thought of being pruned back. Jesus will allow things to come into our life and he'll use things to come into our life to just move us closer to him. So staying close to Jesus keeps you filled up. Staying close to Jesus keeps you fruitful. But here's the key. Only if you stay close. The most used word in John 15 verses 1 through 8 is the word remain. It literally is found eight times or on average once a verse. Remain, 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 remain. That's how many times it's in there. Eight. Remain is the most common word found in John 15, 1 through 8. Used eight times. And this word remain, the word Jesus would have spoken and the word John later wrote down. Jesus probably spoke it in in the Aramaic language. John wrote it in Greek because it was 
kind of the English of its day. The whole world spoke it. That word means to stay around or to stay connected to consistently. It literally has the thought, the, the word remain literally has the thought of a hanger-oner, if you know what that means in culture, like someone who will just not go away. That's what the word remain means. So I, I've got a, a little picture to show you of, of kind of how Jesus has revealed this to me recently. This is an orphanage that we were at in Kenya, and this is a little girl that I was throwing the ball with. There were two of them at the orphanage that looked exactly alike and they wore the same clothes every day. Their names were Abigail or Esther. I don't know whether this is Abigail or Esther. But this is in the last 30 minutes of our week-long trip. This is on Wednesday. Uh, we, We traveled for almost 40 hours to get from Kansas City to where we were finally going. And then I woke up the next morning and I preached three times and we put on a whole conference. And then I woke up on Sunday morning, I had to preach again. And then on Monday, we went to three orphanages. And on Tuesday, we went to three orphanages. And on Wednesday, we were ending our trip and we were exhausted. And on this day, we had started the day with two hours of hard manual labor. We were building a, a hundred chicken chicken coop, this massive structure that we were putting together. And to do this, we had to haul bricks about 200 yards. They had dropped them outside the little gated village that we were in. So using a wheelbarrow or our hands, we had to walk 200 yards at a time with four, six, 10, 12 bricks, as many as we could carry. We did this for like two hours. And at the end of two hours, I had to go and lead a basketball clinic that lasted three hours. I mean, in the baking sun of the equator, we led a basketball clinic for three hours. And at the end of the basketball clinic, like the kids wanted, they were like, let's play a game now. Let's take everything we've learned and play the game. And I don't know if you've ever played basketball with Kenyans, but like they don't get tired. Like Kenyans, there's something like they just run and run and run and run and run. So finally I was like, okay, like you win. I'm too tired. And we went in to eat lunch. And on this day we were done at lunch. All we had to do was work up till lunch. And I'd never seen a more tired, sweaty, worn out group of people than when we were sitting and eating lunch. And at lunch, the guy who led our trip came in and he said, I know you guys are getting ready to leave. But I think if you could work for two more hours, we could get just a little more accomplished. What do you think? Now, our group was so tired that we actually debated it. And some were like, I just, I can't do anymore. Some were like, I'll try. So half stayed inside because they couldn't do any. Some of us went back out. And for another hour, we lugged bricks around. And this little girl who had seen me lead the basketball clinic started following me around when I was carrying bricks with the ball. And like she'd walk with me. And every time I put down my bricks, she'd ball. And she'd toss me the ball. And I'd kind of toss it back to her. And I'd go get more bricks. And I finally got done doing that. We'd moved all the bricks. And I sat down in like a shady spot. And I was just worn out. And here comes this little girl with her ball. And she's like, ball. So she throws it to me. And I throw her back. And she throws it to me. And I'm like, you know, why, did, why don't you go play with them? Like, see that person over there? See if they'll throw the ball with you. And like, you know, she, like she wouldn't leave me alone. This picture was actually taken. I may have at one point thrown the ball way over her head. And when she went to get it, I might have moved to another spot where I didn't think she could find me. And she found me in that spot, sitting like I'm tucked around the corner of a building here. And she came back up and she was like, ball. And I was like, all right. So I'm throwing this ball back and forth with her. And I started flipping through the pictures when I got them last week. And I saw this picture and I just started laughing. I mean, that kid would not leave me alone. And I start studying this week, and I thought, that's it. That's remain. When is the last time you refused to not spend time with God during the day? 
When is the last time that regardless of work, family, finances, jobs, relationships, activities, hobbies, when's the last time that you refused to not spend time with God? When's the last time you took your little spiritual ball and followed God around all day and said, God, when you have time for me, just a few minutes, God, I'm not leaving God until we spend time together. When's the last time you said, I will not go to bed tonight until I spend time in the Word? When's the last time you said, I will not fall asleep tonight before I spend time in prayer? When's the last week you said, I will not get through this week without going to church? Or the last month where you said, I will not go an entire month without worshiping with my congregation? When's the last time you remained? That's what Jesus is talking about, remain. You just refuse to not spend time with Jesus. This is what Jesus is talking about. And Jesus said, if you want to be filled, of course you want to be filled. If you want to be fruitful, of course you want to be fruitful. you got to remain. It's actually on you now. When we look at this entire series, eight weeks long now, we see four things. First, we see the big picture theme of being introduced to the real Jesus is that he can meet our needs. We need him. The most important thing about being introduced to Jesus is he can help us. This is the theme of who Jesus is. He can help us. But the next thing we learned is that the big picture application, so if the big picture theme is that Jesus can help us, the big picture application of being introduced to the real Jesus is that it takes effort to stay close to him. And I hate to say this, but it applies to 99% of the people in this room. If you're not close to Jesus today, for most of you, it's because you're putting no effort into your spiritual relationship with him. Now there is the 1% who's going through something so difficult that there's a problem that's outside of your effort. But most of you, if you feel distant from Jesus, it's because you moved, not him. You've not refused to not let him be a part of your life. That's the application of what we're learning about being close to Jesus. Thirdly, The big picture benefit, it's a big deal, of being introduced to the real Jesus is is that he improves our life. So this whole thought about Jesus is that Jesus can help you, but you've got to put some effort into it. But if you will do that, your life will be better. It will improve. And here's what's really cool. The big picture impact of being introduced to the real Jesus is that our lives become useful to the world that needs some fruit on a daily basis. Because the vine flows into the branches and produces fruit. But guess what? The fruit is not for the branch. So the fruit that God produces in you is not for you. The fruit is not for the vine because the vine doesn't take the fruit and need the fruit to give anything to the branch. The vine gives life to the branch. The branch gives life to the fruit. So the fruit will give light to, to anyone who's around them. Why? Because there's some people in your life that need you to have some good fruit. There's some people in your life that need you to be loving this week. Plain and simple. You're going to interact with some people this week who if you're not loving to them, no one will be loving to them. There's some people that need you to be loving. There's some people that need you to be joyful. There's some people that need you to have peace because if you don't have peace, they won't know anyone who has peace. There's some people this week that need you to be patient with them. Maybe today, maybe today by the end of the day, your kids will need you to be patient with them. And there's some people that need you to be nice. Some people in this community that need some kind-hearted people. There's some people in this world that need some good 
people in their life. Some people in our world who need some faithful people. They need people who will be, man, same day, same time, same channel, just faithful people that they can count on. Some people in your life that need some gentle people this week. Everything in their life has been harsh to them. They need you to be gentle. There's some people who need you to have great self-control. And guess what? If you stay close to Jesus, all these things become a part of your life, not for you, but for those who are around you. If you stay filled, you stay fruitful. If you stay fruitful, everyone is impacted. If we remain close to Jesus, we'll remain useful to others. And what's cool about that is that's what most people desire. When you look at the millennial generation, basically anyone under the age of 30, they're the first generation in a long time that the whole purpose of their existence, they believe, is to help other people. Generation X, if you're less than 54, you fall in. Generation X is drifting towards believing that real life is having impact on other people. We say at our church, our mission statement is to see people far from God become passionate Christians and make a difference in the world because we believe we're supposed to be a church that has some low-hanging fruit for people who desperately need what the life of Jesus does in someone. I wear two little things on my wrist, one that says difference maker in English and one that says difference maker in Hebrew because of my love for Israel and the Israeli culture and the Hebrew people and Old Testament theology. To remind myself, I'm going to come into contact with someone every day who needs someone to make a difference in their life. I'm going to come into contact with, with someone every day who needs me to be loving, who needs me to have a little bit of joy, who needs me to show the way to peace, who needs me to be patient, who needs me to be kind, who needs me to be good, who needs me to be faithful, who needs me to be gentle, who needs me to be self-controlled. See, staying close to Jesus is important because of how it fills you. But staying close to Jesus is important because of what it does to you that other people then get to be a part of. It's life transforming for you and for others. But it takes effort. I want to challenge you to be like that little girl, Abigail Esther. Not sure which one she was. I want to challenge you as you step into December this year to refuse to go a day without spending time with God. Chase him down. Refuse to spend a day in December that you don't spend time in God's word. Refuse to go a day in December where you don't spend time in prayer. Refuse to have a Sunday in December where you don't come and be a part of God's church if you're in town. Refuse not to have God touch your life this month. Because if you remain in Jesus, he'll remain in you, and your life will bear much fruit. And man, that's going to help a lot of people, which is what the goal of this church is in the first place. Let's pray together.